Thanks, Charlie. It's been fun seeing familiar faces, and none of you have changed a bit. You're still beautiful and gorgeous. You look good. Except for Bill Webster, looks a little older. Everyone else looks great. I love you, Bill. <laughs> You're welcome. All right, so a couple of things I want to start off with is um, thank yous. One is to Brad Button. He's been a mentor and a friend for the last several years, um, going on around eight years. And you are um, a dear friend in times of trouble and a great friend during times of good times. So thank you. And uh, you've been blessed by having him as your pastor. So uh, thank you so much for your friendship. The other one is uh, Superintendent, or Bishop, sorry, Bishop Snyder, who was your interim senior pastor for the last six months or so, five months. He was my bishop um, down in the South. I love that man to death. Um, just, I'm, I was, when I heard he was going to be the interim senior pastor, it just was, it blew me away. I was so thrilled. I was kind of like, maybe I should move up to Davidson for about five months. Um, so he, I hope you were blessed by him. I hope you realized the gift you got because he is a gift. Um, so that's awesome. I'm glad that you got to be part of it. And then, excited about your new pastor coming, Pastor Teal, next week. Um, that's just, it's awesome to know that he's on his way, and I'm sure you'll love him as well. I don't know him at all. I've seen his picture on your face, or on your um, website, and that's as close as I know him. But I, as far as I know, I'll, I'll get to know him pretty soon. Well, I am on sabbatical, which means... I get eight weeks to rest and rejuvenate and get kind of a groove back in life after 15 years of ministry. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited to take this time off. So when Charlie Facebooked me and said, hey, are you going to be in the, the region in June to come and speak? I said, well, by golly, I will be. And so it worked out really well. And so I'm excited to be here and be a part of you, this, be a part of um, the church today. So thank you for this opportunity. Well, not living in Michigan is a blessing in, in one big way, is that whenever someone says, where are you from, I can always pull out my pocket map and say, this is where I'm from. Because, you know, when they say I'm from Texas, you have to make a funky Texas thing. I don't know what they have to draw it. But Michigan is just so nice. You just go, hi. And I, for you youpers, I always include the Upper Peninsula just to, you know, because that often gets left off. So anyways... I always say, yeah, I'm right about here near Flint, a little bit north of Detroit. People get an idea, and they go, oh, I thought Detroit was way up here. And so it kind of helps them with the whole geographic thing, because some people are just lost that way. Well, we moved to Georgia, and so I had to change my pocket map a little bit for you. So my pocket map, if you take your thumb and kind of crunch it in, and then move the top like that, that's Georgia. <laughs> and so Atlanta is where we lived for uh, 12 years. And that's in the northern part. I always hope that Atlanta was in the middle, because if you're driving through, it feels like you're halfway through. But it's not. It's like, no, you got forever to go to Florida. So you're, Atlanta's up here, and we lived there for 12 years. Loved it. We got to go see the Braves often. Got to go to the, the zoo. They have a great zoo there. They have the world's largest aquarium there. Uh, Centennial Olympic Park. All the stuff that happened because of the Olympics has rejuvenated the city. So it's just a great city to be a part of. Love the city and love the city life that's there. So we're about 30 minutes away from that where we live near the airport, if you've been to the Atlanta airport. But now we live in Columbus, so I'll show you my pocket map again. Strunch fingers. 
So Atlanta's up here, and Columbus is mid-state on the west side on the border of Alabama. So Columbus is where we live now. We've lived there for three years, but I've been a part of the church for five there. And so it's right where your pinky meets, meets your hand part, the palm. You got it, Dave? Great, good. So he's with me. And as a fan of Michigan Wolverines, I never thought I'd live in a town called Columbus. But I do, and people in Columbus have no idea where Ohio State is, so it works out really well. Um, the size of the town is like Grand Rapids, a little bigger than Grand Rapids, so about 200,000 people. Um, and so it's just a great place to live. It's, the third, it's named the third best place to live in America to raise kids, right behind Honolulu and some other town. So if you're going to choose, you probably want to choose Honolulu. But if you ever want to raise kids, come on down to Columbus. We'd love to have you. So I want to ask a couple questions. How many people have been to Columbus, Georgia? Sweet. Four or five. Six, seven. Military? Military? Great, good. All right, so a lot, the first service, three had lived um, in Columbus, and it was all military. It's uh, Fort Benning. It's where they do the infantry, so it's big military town. Oh, so by the way, happy 4th of July. Um, that's a big deal in our town, and it's a big deal in, um, in our church as well because of the military presence there. So happy 4th of July. Um, so that question, you got five or seven, right, that have been to Columbus. How many have been through or been to Atlanta? Raise your hands. All right, great. Good majority, just like the first service. So there, I learned something when we moved to Columbus. When we moved to Columbus outside of Atlanta, we learned if you ask the same question, you get totally different answers. The same question was, how long does it take to get there? So in Columbus, you say, how long does it take to get to Walmart? How long does it take to get to downtown? How long does it take to get uptown? How long does it take to get out to the tennis courts? How long does it take to get here? And the answer is the same every time. 15 minutes. It's literally 15 minutes everywhere you go in Columbus. People say it takes 15 minutes to get wherever you are, no matter what. So if you're going down to Walmart, 15 minutes. If you're going all the way to the river, 15 minutes. Ask that going to Atlanta. And they say, what time are you going? What day are you going? Are, have you looked at the traffic cams? Are the Braves playing? If they are, who are they playing? What time did they start? Who's pitching? Are there going to be fireworks after the game? You ask all those questions because they matter, right? Have you been through Atlanta? Have you driven through Atlanta? Do you know what it looks like? It's terrible. It's the third worst city to drive in. Ah, horrible. Thank you very much. You guys are already ahead of me. All right? So it's just terrible, terrible, terrible traffic. So what I want you to do is to brainstorm with me on my big whiteboard things that you can say about Atlanta traffic, just Atlanta traffic. Some people are saying things about Atlanta, and that's nice, but really want to focus on the traffic itself. So Atlanta, we call it the ATL when you're cool. Traffic. Some words that describe Atlanta traffic. Fast. Like NASCAR. Ah, I got some fans up here. I see. What else? Stop and go. And go. What else? You guys are really nice. When, I, when, I've, when I've done this message in Atlanta, they're not so nice. So you can be, you, you know, we're in church, but God understands that land traffic is not good. He did not create it. So we can give some really strong words toward this. What are some strong words? 
crazy, nightmare. Oh, you're getting into it now. Nightmare. Something about turn signals. In, what, what's the other words? Oh, come on. Spaghetti Junction. And that's part of the craziness. You know what Spaghetti junction, junction is? I'll show you in just a minute. Spaghetti Junction. What else? Come on. There's a lot to it. You've been to it. What? Ooh. Okay. I'll write that down. The H word ish. What else? What? Congested. Yeah. Road rage. Uh huh. Road rage. Let's throw in there anger. All right. What else? Anything else? All right, we'll stick with that. It's not so bad. Um, I like crazy. I like nightmare, anger. That's good. All right, we're going to look at this from a different perspective now. So you, you scat the feel. You've been through it. You may be a little shy this morning, so you didn't say what you really feel about it, and that's okay. So I want us to look at this a little differently than Atlanta traffic. People. Aren't people a nightmare sometimes? And crazy? I mean, outside of your family. <laughs> Isn't there a little bit of road rage toward people? Anger? If I don't take my allergy medicine, I'm congested. But other than that, um, maybe even hellish. Like work tomorrow or... Fourth of July with your relatives or someone else, some other situation. People, people tend to drive us to some of these descriptions because sometimes people are like Atlanta traffic. Well, I want to read a scripture that kind of ties into this. It's a Luke 19, 1 through 10. It says this, He, Jesus... Entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. So you might know this story. You might know the song. You can sing along with me later after the service. He was the chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He is gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your passage here, your word. Thank you that it gives us direction how to live. Thank you that you allow us to read it 
just average folks. And Lord, help us to take what you're saying today and apply it to our lives so that we can impact the world for your kingdom and bring a smile to your face. So help my words be your words. Help me to say what you want me to say. In your son's name, amen. So this is the only time that you see Zacchaeus in the Bible. You don't see him any other time. This is his one 15 minutes of fame where he gets to hang out with Jesus. So I, I try to search all over. And with being online, you can search everything and find everything. And you can't really find a whole lot about Zacchaeus until I went to his Facebook page. And I found him there. And uh, his favorite song is Money by Pink Floyd, which makes sense. You know, tax collector. He still watches Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Favorite game is Monopoly. Still single. No friends. So how many IRS agents are Facebook friends with you? Probably not many. If there are, you probably don't want to admit it. If you're with IRS now, I'm sorry. Please do not investigate me. Do you have a Zacchaeus in your life? Is there a person in your life that you can say, that's a Zacchaeus to me? And then how have you treated that person in the past, that Zacchaeus? Probably, if you're like me, our natural tendency is to treat them opposite of how Jesus did. But Jesus sees people differently than we do. His eyes see deeper into the person's soul, past all their outer junk and into their heart. So here's what Jesus saw in Zacchaeus. First of all, he saw an opportunity. Jesus' eyes were always looking for a way and a chance to change lives. Always looking. That's his eyes were always focused on people around him. He's wanting to find a way to help turn a life around, help it to be better than it is today. And as he's walking down the road, he looked up. Our tendency is to look at the crowd who's cheering you on and loving on you. But he looked up. He looked in a direction where there's only one person there. And everyone's like going, don't look at him. But he looked up. He changed his focus and his attention. He was intentional where he looked. And he saw an opportunity. He came to seek and to save the lost. So in this moment, he's playing a little hide-and-seek with Zacchaeus. Hey, I see you up there hiding in the tree, looking for me. I got you. Found you. Well, I go back to Atlanta, and I was driving with a pastor friend um, a bunch of years ago, about close to 15 years ago, driving through Atlanta through rush hour traffic. And let me give you a picture of rush hour traffic in Atlanta. And that's probably a good day because it's sunny and I don't see any accidents yet. But you can see there are seven lanes on each side of the expressway. And right over to your right, if you can see a bigger, broader picture, is Turner Field is right there where the Braves play. And up on the far right corner area, you can see a gold dome, which is the state capitol. So here's Turner Field. And about 15 years ago, I run out of gas in the HOV lane, which is the high occupancy vehicle, which means if you have more than one in your car, you can ride in the fast lane. So the fast lane, the HOV lane, is far inside. 
See where the yellow cab is? About there is where I ran out of gas. And the trap, you see how there's brake lights? That day, there was that much traffic, but no brake lights. Everyone's going 80 miles an hour. And so here, Super Brad, new minister, faith in God, I grab my gas can out of the trunk on the inside of the traffic and start running toward an exit. And my pastor friend who's with me yells, Run, Forrest, run! <laughs> and I'm running with that gas can up I-75, I-85, which is Spaghetti Junction, which is where the two cross and they meet and all world stops. And I'm just running up the road. I'm thinking, okay, I got two options. I'm going to play Frogger and win, or I'm going to be on the news tonight. Because <laughs> I've died and I've caused a major pileup, and it's going to be a disaster. So I got to get across seven lanes to an exit, of which there's no gas station for like 150 miles. So I'm like, how do I even get gas? But first, my goal is to get across some lanes here. And I'm thinking if I get across a few and stand like here and the cars are going by at 80, they may miss. And so I'm running up the interstate on the shoulder. And all of a sudden, an old 73-ish Chevy pulls up in front of me. I go, again, two options, really good or really bad. And I hear Jamaican music music bumping, bumping out. And I, the guy opens his door and says, Yo, man, get in the car. I'm like, okay, again, this could end up really good or really bad. <laughs> and so I go, God, at this moment, protect me and hope this is good. So I get in the car, and there's another guy. And they're like, Yo, man. <laughs> so once, I, let's call one Bobby and one Ziggy. And so Bob and Ziggy are there, and they are driving along. And Bob, who's driving, looks back and says, where do you need to go? I said, I need to get some gas. My car is back there about a half mile. I need to get gas. He said, I'll take you to the gas station. And the next words have impacted me for 15 years. He said, God told me this morning in my devotionals that someone's going to need my help, and you're it. So that stopped me. I'm like, are you a Christian? He's like, yeah, man. I said, sweet. <laughs> so he took me to the gas station. On the way back from the gas station to get the car, which is, you know, 20 to 40 minutes later, he says, I'll probably be late for work. I might lose my job. But I got to do what God asked me to do. I saw you as what God told me to do. I did it. He saw me as an opportunity and fulfilled it because God told him, to find that person that needs help and help them out. So thanks, Bob and Ziggy, for stopping for me. They have impacted me and, and impacted many people because I've been able to tell that story. Michonne, my wife, calls those God instances and not co-instances because God is making appointments for you throughout the day that if you open up your eyes and see the opportunity, they're there. And so I was a part of a church 
plant that was uh, seeker-targeted. It's very much going after people who don't know anything about Christ, don't want to be a part of church, but they, they have a little bit of inkling toward it, but they're, they're just kind of like, eh, I don't know. So our church was really targeted toward people that just want to give up on God. And so God gave me a vision to put together a rock opera for Christmas. Not a cantata, not a nice little musical. It's a rock opera, full band, full costumes. It was a story of Joseph and Mary as they are trying to figure out this whole situation with baby. That Mary's pregnant, Joseph's like, what's going on? And trying to work that all out. And so we set the rock opera to the 80s and used 80s music. And it's, thank you very much. And so it, it started out with all journey music. And it's morphed into with Ariel Speedwagon, a little bit of Rick Springfield, Men at Work, Bon Jovi. And a lot of people said, I, that just can't happen in church. I'm saying, where are they going to get? We got to bring them in to hear this message. The point is to share the good news of what Christ has done in our lives. And I give a strong invitation at the end and say, if you don't know this story about Jesus and Jesus isn't living in your heart, you need to. And all we're doing is using that avenue of 80s rock music and 80s attire. Actually, the church dresses up and comes in 80s attire. It's great. They're beautiful. And we just say, here's the message. Because I saw a bunch of people who would not come into the church but would come to hear Rick Springfield or come to hear Cindy Lauper. They would love to come hear that. That they hear it live. So they came. So we've had thousands of people hear that message. Thousands. This year we're thinking about having three performances because two is not enough. And we hold 750 in our church. It's just figure out a way to bring an opportunity to people or cease an opportunity as something for the kingdom. Now it's funny, my daughter Morgan, who was a few years old at the time, maybe four or five, she was getting her hair cut shortly after we performed Joseph's Journey, which is the name of the, the rock opera, because it's Joseph's Journey with Journey Music, Joseph's Journey. So, um, so she's getting her hair cut, and over the speakers plays Don't Stop Believing," And she goes, we sing this song at church. <laughs> and the person cutting her hair said, sure you do, honey. Sure you do. But that's, it spreads the word. It's, it spreads what we're about. Use any way we can to get people closer to God. See opportunities. Some of you are great at building wood, using stuff with wood. Some of you are great at other things that are just, you know, maybe a craft or maybe fixing cars. Use those opportunities to draw people into Christ, whatever it is. God used Joseph's journey for me. He may use something for you. But use something that God has stirred up in you don't hoard it for yourself, but use it for others. So what opportunities do you see that could bring people closer to Jesus? View it not as, not as things as an obstacle, but an opportunity. When you get slowed down and you're, you're rushing, maybe that's an opportunity for you to connect with that person. When something doesn't go right, maybe it's an opportunity rather than an obstacle for you to change that person for the kingdom. What needs do you see in your community that are longing to be filled? Are you seeking the lost, those that are hiding? 
So the first point is, Jesus saw an opportunity. The second one is that he saw a person. So, we take this, we take people off and put Zacchaeus. I'm going to put down here sinner, because that's what they called him. Everyone else had different names for Zacchaeus. They had tax collector, enemy, sinner. But Jesus called him by his true name. He said, Zacchaeus. I love Isaiah 45, 4. It says, I call you by your name. The name that you are known by. Not necessarily the, the bad ones, but the one that is true to who you are. And then Jesus gives them even a better name, son of Abraham. It says he, too, is a son of Abraham. You know what that means? He's like you and I. He, too. All these people are saying, oh, he's a bad guy. Don't mess with him. Why are you even going to his house? He's, he's a loser. No one likes him. No one would ever go to his house. Uh, pardon me, but he, too, is the son of God. He, too, is he's you. You're no better. So he saw him as a person. Zacchaeus was called many things, and in turn, his name was not seen as a positive name. I'm sure there weren't moms back in the first century going, Zacchaeus, I knew Zacchaeus once. Let's name our son Zacchaeus. I'm pretty much sure they were picking other names than Zacchaeus. And probably his name Zacchaeus wasn't even popular to him. He probably didn't even like it himself. It became a negative name for him. That is until Jesus called him, and he called him that name. First Peter two one or two ten says, "Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. At one time you weren't God's people, right? But now you are. And I'm calling you into that. I'm calling you beyond what you think you are, beyond what other people have called you. I'm calling you God's people, my people, a son of Abraham." Jesus recognized him as a human being. The crowd didn't. They didn't let him come up front, even though he was short. They didn't, probably as they were pushing him back to the back, because they knew who he was, they came, he came to their house, he got their money. They knew his face, and they didn't want to see him but once a year. And so as they're going by, pushing him back, they're probably jabbing him, kicking him. Get back there, Zacchaeus the sinner, tax collector. That's what his name was. But Jesus knew who he was. Jesus saw Zacchaeus as a person of who he could be. To Jesus, Zacchaeus wasn't just a number of slanderous word. He was Zacchaeus, son of Abraham and child of God. Jesus created him. He knew him very well. So on my sabbatical, it's been great because I've been able to worship at many different churches. Last week, we got to worship in Brooklyn Tabernacle. Amazing. If you get the chance, do that. It's worth it. You have to stand in line for about an hour and a half to get in, but it's worth it. You get in there, and the choir is just blows you away. It was amazing. And I said to my wife, I said, 
I've never heard a choir be louder than the band. We had that problem at our church. We have a choir, about 15, 20 people every fourth week, and you can't ever hear them. But this choir of 250 is a little different. Then the church gets into it. And it's like, are we even on the same note as the band? Who cares? It's rock and roll with God. And God loves it. And it's just such an awesome spirit-filled moment. So we got to do that. And that church is thousands of people. They had overflow across the street. Got to go to a church of 11 campuses of 11,000. And that just was just awe-inspiring that they have 11 campuses and try to handle that. And it was just a great service. Um, and then we went to a church of 36. And a lot different than the other two. No choir, no band, piano and organ. But a, choir, a church of 36 in a small town in South Georgia. And we went there because we went for the, um, the service, but also for the Sunday school class, because our teacher was President Jimmy Carter. And so this church of 36, we had President Jimmy Carter there nearly every Sunday giving his Bible study. Ends up being about three to 400 people because people want to come here. President Jimmy Carter. And whether you like his politics or don't, the man teaches Bible study every week at his church. That has to say something about how he is and who he is. So he's, uh, we were instructed before he showed up how to interact with the president. What to say, what don't to say, how to stand up, how not to stand up, what to, when to leave, what not to leave. And so he comes in and he's asking two questions. One is, where are you from? Generally, what state? And then he went into another question of, if you're a pastor, tell me what denomination you're with and what town or city or state you're in. And so people start off on the far right side. I'm on the left side with my family. And they're starting off where they're from. They pretty much say, you know, I'm, I'm Baptist from North Carolina. I'm Methodist from Florida. And people are from all over the world there. As we're standing in line, getting ready to be checked out by the Secret Service, you could hear people talking about where they're from. And they're from all over. So I'm sitting next to my daughter, Morgan, and she jazzy says, don't get up, don't say anything, don't say anything. I'm 12, do not embarrass me, like I'm doing right now. <laughs> so it comes, I'm, it's, yeah, you can tell he's kind of wrapping up because he's down in this last section and he's looking in the back. And I raised my hand, I said, I'm a free Methodist pastor in Georgia. And he looks at, he goes, Free? Free Methodist? I said, yes, sir. What is this free Methodist? So I'm having a dialogue with the President of the United States. Hello. I said, well, sir, free Methodist started about 150 years ago when, see, I'm educating the President. Pretty amazing, huh? When uh, the, the Methodists would not stand up against slavery and selling a pews and free worship. Oh, Rosalind. Now, did you think Rosalind Carter? I thought Rosalind. Rosalind. Don't get that wrong. Rosalind, he's a free Methodist. And Rosalind's sitting four rows ahead of us, and she turns around and goes, because this is a Baptist church. Turns around, she turns around and looks at me and says, once Methodist, always Methodist. <laughs> I'm having a conversation with President Jimmy Carter and Mrs. Ro- Rosalind Carter. This is an awesome day. I did not expect this. And so he says, okay, thank you, sir. He gets a little more introduction, and then he says, 
I'd like someone to pray for our um, Bible study today. Would the free Methodists pray for our Bible study? <laughs> I'm going, you betcha. Give me that mic. So the, the person who did the introduction gave me the mic. And I prayed, prayed blessing on him and his ministry. Prayed just for that we learn what he had to share. I had a conversation with a president. I prayed for the president in his presence. And I didn't pray against him. I prayed for him. That's what we're supposed to do. My heart's beating right now because of that. The opportunity for the president of the United States to call on me. Imagine Zacchaeus. Hey, Zacchaeus, what? You got to be kidding me. You're talking to me. You're actually, there are countless righteous people surrounding you, and you're choosing me. And not only that, but he's choosing him to, to spend time with him. Like I had that moment with President Jimmy Carter. He didn't talk to anyone else. He talked to me. So now he knows what a free Methodist is. Do you see that someone needs a personal touch to be called by their name? You know, that story with President Carter will stick with me forever. My kids, once they realize it's a good moment, will tell that story of the time they met in, I'm sorry, here. There we are. Aren't we gorgeous? President Carter has his hand on my daughter. All right, now, if Jesus came and said, Brad, would you pray? Uh, yeah. And I'd be even more honored, wouldn't you? Or would you be scared to death? (laughs) Probably a combination of both. And that's what Jesus did in that moment. He called someone by name. And actually gave them a new name. And some of you need to give someone else a new name. You know your boss as blank. He needs to be honored. You know your in-laws that you're going to see this coming Thursday on 4th of July party as, they need to have a new name. What about the person that checks you out at the grocery store? Why not thank them by name? They've got the tag. It says Jim Bob. Call them that. Well, it does in our town. So not only does Jesus see an opportunity and see a friend, I'm sorry, see a person, but he sees a friend. As you saw on his Facebook page, Zacchaeus was alone, had no friends. But Jesus changed all that. Jesus went to his house for a meal. Now, for you and I, we could probably take anyone to our house for a meal and spend a couple hours. No big deal. And probably no one would know. But there, going to someone's house was more like taking them on vacation with you. It's different having them come over for spaghetti versus going to Florida. You can spend a couple hours and survive that, but going to Florida and driving all the way there is probably not how you want to spend your vacation. And so that's how it felt for 
Zacchaeus to have someone in their house. It was, it was a stranger there for extended period of time because you had to wash their feet, take care of all their needs. John 15, 15 says this, I do not call you servants any longer because a servant does not know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything that I've heard from my father. It's awesome when Jesus calls us a friend. He says, I, I know you. We're, we're pals. Now, we're, he's also Savior and Lord, which have to come first. But when he's that friend, it changes things. You see how life can be. Mother Teresa was asked by some people as they were leaving, how can we live better lives? She said simply this, smile at each other, smile at your wife, smile at your husband, smile at your children, smile at each other. It doesn't matter who it is, and that will help you grow up in greater love for each other and in me and for Christ. So when you see people, do you see them as potential friends for Christ? And that's a hard thing. There are plenty of people out there that need Christ that you could probably say, I don't ever want to talk to. Different political beliefs, different religious beliefs, different sides of the city, different work ethics. But God is calling us to be a friend so that we can change lives. Who do you need? Who do you see that needs a friend? Well, the entire book of Luke is summed up in this passage. At the end of this passage, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The message says it this way, For the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost. Simply, God sent Jesus to come and change lives. Look at the change in Zacchaeus' life because Jesus simply saw him. He gave back half of his possessions. He gave half of his possessions to the poor, just flat out. He gave back four times as much as required by law when he frauded people. And he becomes a son of God, a child of the Lord. All because Jesus saw an opportunity, a person, and a friend. Jesus changed Zacchaeus' life, and in turn, Zacchaeus was changing other people's lives by being honest and giving back the money they deserved. And I think the real reason why we struggle with seeing people like the way Jesus does and seeing someone like Zacchaeus more than a sinner, a tax collector, someone we want to avoid, is because we think we're not like them at all. We aren't as bad as them. In fact, we're better than them. We were raised better. We're stronger than them. They're weak. The first step is really to, of seeing people as the way Jesus does, is to really honestly see clearly who we are. And so if we remove Zacchaeus, put me, that I'm a little crazy. Maybe I'm a little bit of a nightmare to someone. That I bring anger out of people. 
I might even be a little hellish to them. That's me. We're really no different than Zacchaeus. We're a sinner needing God in an amazing way. But thanks be to God who sees me just as he saw Zacchaeus, who calls me out of the tree. He sees me as an opportunity to show his love and grace as a person, a human being, not what others call me or even what I call myself. And he sees me as a friend. Romans 5.8 says, But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For me. He did that for me. He did that while we are still like this. And when we accept Jesus as Lord of our life, amazingly, he calls us by a new name and gives us a new identity, which is awesome. He changes the board. He says, you're forgiven. Child of God. You're loved. You're a light. You're salt. You're beloved. You're a friend. It changes the whole equation when we realize how Jesus sees us and how he sees what we could be like he saw what Zacchaeus could be. No one pictured that day that Zacchaeus would give half his possessions and four times back what he owed people. No one. And yet, he can do that for us and we can be generous, loving, caring when no one expected it. We see ourselves with our limitations and failures, but God sees us through our potential. And once we see ourselves like this, forgiven, child of God, loved, friend, salt and light, then we can see people like Zacchaeus as that. Too many, th- too many times we don't see them as potential. We see them as who they are. And God says, I see potential. And because Christ changed us, we are now agents of change. Seeing people as an opportunity to show and share God's love, grace, mercy. A person that's created by God and someone that they can call a friend. So, I've got some response questions for you as you take with you today. Do I see myself through the eyes of Jesus? Or do I see myself through what people call me or think of me or, or what I've kind of lived with my whole life of who I think I am? What needs to change in me in order to have eyes focused like Jesus has eyes focused? And who are people I need to see differently? Maybe a race, maybe an area of town, 
maybe a person in this room right now, maybe a person in my family? Is there someone that needs to see, be seen differently than how I've seen them? So take these questions with you and let them kind of work through you. Let God do a work. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for this day that you've given us and for the opportunities in front of us, not the obstacles, but the opportunities. I know I struggle with that, Lord. I, I want to get there at, on time, and it, I want to be there at the right place, and I get frustrated. Lord, help me to see that as an opportunity rather than an obstacle. When I run into someone, Lord, that is just not pleasant, help me to recognize that they are a potential child of God that needs your grace and mercy, and I'm there to give it to them. Help those long-lasting relationships that are not good to be good because we have changed. Not because they have changed, but because we have changed. That we see ourselves as forgiven, of loved, of a friend of Christ. And because of that, we can help them become that too. Lord, I praise you for this day. Praise you for the fact that you gave us breath to live today. And praise you that you give us eyes to see the opportunities in front of us. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Have a great fourth. Love you.